Thank you for tuning in to Lexington Road Ministries podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to stop by. We hope you enjoy today's message. Talking about storms, if you've ever witnessed a tornado firsthand or a hurricane, it's a scary thing. The force of the strong winds and the damage that they cause, it's frightening. I've heard Sister Terry tell a story about the tornado that was coming to her house and she rebuked it and it passed around, but I'm sure there was a little bit of fear at first seeing that. I remember seeing the devastation from Hurricane Katrina back in 2005 down in the Gulf and how it was so overwhelming what it did. Storms are sometimes scary, very unpredictable, and storms can be costly. Storms are bigger than us. And in life, it's the storms that we go through that will either make us or break us. But I thank God that in times that it does break us, that we go to the master and he helps put us back together again. Because we don't always hold it together through storms. We're human. And I thank God for grace that when we break, he's there to repair us. Amen. We've all faced situations in life that have overwhelmed us. Maybe you're in one now. Maybe you're in a storm that's overwhelming to you. But I pray that by the end of the night that you'll be encouraged and knowing that the Lord is with you in the storm. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. The word of the Lord says, Now it came to pass. Say that with me. Now it came to pass. That's another card you need to keep in your back pocket. Now it came to pass. No matter what we go through, if we keep our eyes on the prize, this too shall pass. Amen. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship, speaking of Jesus, he went into a ship with his disciples and he said unto them, let us go over into the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. And then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? He commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. In this short passage of Scripture, there's a few important points that I want, I want us to notice. Number one, in verse 22, Jesus says, let us pass over to the other side. Jesus confidently spoke what was about to come to pass. Jesus had no worries. He was confident God's will was for them to go to the other side. So he told the disciples, let us go to the other side. Maybe the disciples didn't catch that. See, Jesus wasn't just a normal man. What he spoke would always come to pass. And it was just a chapter prior to this situation when uh, the centurion sent someone to go to Jesus because he had a servant that needed healed. And the centurion told these people that went to Jesus, tell him just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus was so impressed with the faith and we know that it was the spoken word that healed that servant. 
So Jesus, who is the word who has spoken, and we have that in this book that we read, the word brings life. It's spoken word. We hold on to scriptures that are confirmation to our destination. I want to say that again. We hold on to scriptures that confirm where we are going. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not, have, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Our destination is everlasting life. That's a, that's a confirmation that we can hold on to. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. These are confirmations that we're going to be in heaven one day. Jesus knew who he was and he knew his authority over the enemy. We need to be confident in the word of the Lord. And in reference to these past two scriptures that I just quoted, death is the last thing that we as Christians should fear. Because we know as soon as we leave this body as Christians, we're in heaven. We have to always rely on what the word says when we're facing a storm in spite of what we see. These promises tells us to keep our eyes on the prize. No matter what we face in life, we're going to see the Lord. Secondly, verse 23 says that Jesus fell asleep. I read a commentary that explained how Jesus slept because of physical exhaustion from healing and delivering as well as teaching, and this portrayed his humanity. Jesus was all God, but he was all human at the same time. Hebrews 4.15 says that we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points he was tempted as we are. Jesus faced everything physically and spiritually, so that we can do what he did. So we can't say, well, I'm not Jesus, so I can't do this or I can't do that. Jesus faced it physically as well as spiritually so that we could do what he did. But sometimes it feels like Jesus is asleep and we're sinking. It's just how it is sometimes. We, we pray and we feel like our prayers aren't getting heard we feel like the situation gets worse. We feel like we're fixing to drown. Jesus, are you asleep? It's what it feels like. Thirdly, verse 23 says, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. We believe God is always on time. We say God is an on-time God, but sometimes it feels that, that we're about to sink before he steps in on his time. But sometimes it's a test of patience or it's a test of trust. I believe I've come to understand that with the way God, God works. So listen to these two different tests with two different outcomes. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13, Samuel told King Saul to go to Gilgal and wait seven days for him to come to make a sacrifice. So the time came, seven days was up, and uh, verse 5 says, Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. Verses 8 through 10 says, Then he saw waited seven days. He did what he was instructed to do. He waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. 
So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, Samuel came. Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said to Saul in verse 13, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have, he would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. And we know that Saul ended up practically committing suicide. But had Paul wait, had Saul waited, King Saul waited just a little bit longer and stood on the word of the Lord. Had he waited just a moment longer. But what happened is the boat started sinking. See, that they needed to make a sacrifice before they went into battle and the enemy was caving in on him and the pressure was coming and the pressure was coming and, and Saul said, I can't, wait. I can't wait on what God's timing is. I just got to do it the way I think is right because this has got to get going here. God is taking too long here. I can't wait no longer. And it was just at that moment, that pivotal moment that Saul disobeyed God. And the blessing was taken away from him. But on the flip side of this, there was a man named Abraham who we've heard the story. God blessed him with the son Isaac and God commanded him to go to the hill and sacrifice his son. And all the way up that mountain, it was as if the water was filling up his boat. Can you imagine when he was getting ready to pull that sword out to kill his son? He was fixing the sink saying, God, why are you letting me go this far? God, I'm drowning. I can't believe that you're letting me do this. But it was a test of faith because as soon as Abraham got to draw that sword, the angel of the Lord stopped him and provided a ram for that. And in those times when God, God uses those situations to test our faith, God wants to see what, what is inside of us, what, what's going on, where's our faith. But these two situations where their boats were filling up and they were drowning and only one passed the test. It is in these sinking moments where we find out what's really inside of us. Lastly, in verse 24, Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and the raging water. He rebuked the wind and he rebuked the raging water. Anytime in the Bible that Jesus rebuked something or someone, it was because Satan was behind it trying to stop the will of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus rebuked the devil himself after being tempted. Notice the enemy will always try to do these things. First of all, he'll cause you to imagine the worst case scenario. Have you ever been in a predicament to where your mind automatically plays out the worst case scenario? The enemy is behind that. Secondly, he'll cause you to think that the world is against you. He'll cause you to think that just people and all odds are just against you. He'll cause you to live in fear and anxiety and depression and he'll even try to convince you to commit suicide. That's what the enemy's plan is. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 21 through 23, Jesus rebuked Peter for trying to stop Jesus from being crucified. I've come to the conclusion that if the enemy fails to pierce your heart with doubt by himself, he'll use people. And I'm not talking about worldly people. Because this man, Peter, who rebuked Jesus, just prior to that, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. Peter had this understanding of really who Jesus was, and all of a sudden we see him rebuking Jesus when Jesus knew what his will needed to be. 
Jesus knew his destination was through the cross. No other way to redeem mankind. The enemy tempted Jesus to get him to forfeit the cross. The enemy through Peter tried to get Jesus to forfeit the cross. Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. Jesus knew what God's will was for him, and the enemy tried to stop it. The enemy tried to convince him to not go to the cross. And had he not done that, we wouldn't have the salvation that we have today. If he can't persuade you by your thoughts, and if he's tried to persuade you by someone else, and it don't work, well, he's going to try to kill your faith by storm, physically. In the passage we read a little bit earlier, Jesus rebuked the storm that was sent by the enemy to destroy them. John 10, 10 says that the thief comes except only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have abundant life. The enemy doesn't want you to get to your destination. What happens in the storm will determine whether you're going to get to that other side or not. And it all revolves around your faith and how well you understand the promises of God. Because when you stand on the promises of God, the boat can rock, the winds can blow, the rain can come, and the boat can be full up. But because you're standing on the promises of God, you can't move. You won't move. How well do you understand what God has promised for you? The enemy's plan is to destroy your faith. Not so much your body. Because how does he win if he destroys the body of a saint who goes to heaven? Jesus' body was broken and the enemy thought he had won. But three days later, he got a rude awakening when he got a knock at the door. And he, Jesus broke that door open and said, Give me them keys of death, hell, and the grave. You thought you won, but you didn't. The devil wanted to take the disciples out in that storm and the crossing of that lake because on the other side of the lake, on the other side of the lake, there was a man possessed by the devil that needed deliverance. There was a man named Jairus who had a daughter who was dying and needed to be raised. There was a woman with an issue of blood who needed a divine miracle. There were people that needed to hear that Jesus could heal them. There were people that needed a divine healing of the soul. And the enemy wanted to stop that. The enemy wanted to take the disciples out. You say, well, Jesus was sleeping and I never could understand that. It's... Jesus was sleeping. He was physically tired, but he wasn't worried. He knew he was going to get to the other side. But it was the disciples' faith that needed to be strengthened in this. Jesus knew that there was work to be done on the other side. And Satan knew that those things needed to be done on the other side of that. So he tried to take their life. In Acts 27, verses 14 through 15, it talks about Paul who preached Jesus, and the religious leaders couldn't stand him, and so they tried to get him put in jail, and they told him that they, they told the leaders that, that he was breaking the law. And Paul said, no, I'm not. He said, I'm going to plead to Caesar. Just take me to Caesar. We'll just clear all this up. So they had to put him on a boat and send him to Rome. So they get on this boat, 
In Acts 27, he says, But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocladon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. Verses 22 through 25 says, This is after the storm came. Because see, the Lord had already given Paul confidence. Paul had already knew that, that God had a plan. And the Lord had already confirmed to Paul that you're going to Caesar. See, Paul already had that confidence of his destination. He already understood the promises before all of this even happened. The Lord had already prepared him for this storm. But the 200 and something odd men that were on that boat, they weren't prepared. In fact, they had no clue. I love how God allows storms to happen to strong Christians and to people of God so that the lost can see. Can I tell you, signs and wonders aren't just healing at church. Signs and wonders are the lost seeing a, a saint survive through a life-threatening situation. That's what draws the lost in, to see a, a, a family member pray for someone that's lost and that person comes in. That is what draws people in. So Paul said, and now I urge you, talking to the people, I urge you to take heart. In other words, don't fear. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Paul told the people, because there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe. Say, I believe. He said, I believe that it will be just as it was told to me. Paul had confidence in what the Spirit of the Lord had already spoken to him. And because he was confident, he was that strong pillar for the lost. We have got to gird ourselves up with the truth of the word. We have been in this long enough to where we ought to be strength for the weak because the word is inside of us. We've got to tighten up the reins and the spirit of the word of God in our life. Live what we believe so that the lost can see something is true. Some storms God prepares us for in prayer. Paul was prepared for this. I think about a hurricane, what would we do? Those that live down south, when a hurricane comes, there's some preparation that they've got to do to prepare for a storm. They bolt up the windows, store up food and water, and build a storm shelter. It's just wise things you do because they've lived through storms before and they know what's going to happen. But we've got to prepare in the spirit when the Lord reveals to you, when you know you're going to face a Eurocladon storm, you got to prepare yourself in the spirit. Store up faith by reading the word and by prayer. We've got to build a place of prayer in our prayer closet. The Bible says in Psalms 91 verses 1 through 2, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress my God and whom I trust. When we know we're fixing to go through a storm, you say, well, what does this mean building, blocking these windows? When the storm comes, it's the enemy who comes. And I, I mentioned this before about the fiery darts of the enemy. He wants to pierce your heart because he wants to get to your, to your faith. He wants to kill your faith. He wants to put doubt in. You know, when hurricanes come, 
there's debris that comes and hits that house and breaks the windows and, and the water comes up and it floods it and it can destroy the house. But if that house has been prepared, if it's been protected, if it's been covered, if it's been bolted up and you're in that house and if you've stored up food, if you haven't stored up food and the flood stays for a long time, well, you're going to starve. You'll never be as strong as your last moment in prayer. You'll never be as fierce to fight the enemy as your last moment in your prayer closet. And just like someone who would build a storm shelter in the ground, below ground, in a a small place, it's secluded and it's protected to protect from the storm, it's time that we start to, we need to, before the storm, we need to prepare that shelter in the spirit. And it's sometimes by yourself talking about the prayer closet, the secret place of the Most High. We as Christians have got to start making a place, uh, making a shelter so that when the storm comes, we know we can go to that shelter of prayer. It's that secret place that God can speak to us and he can protect us and he can cover us. It's the will of God. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then we can say, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God and him I will trust. Well, how can we declare to people that he is my refuge and my fortress if we've never been through something? And God allows these storms to test our faith. Some storms that come are from the enemy, and, and, and just like the storm, Jesus rebuked the wind because it's trying to stop us from doing the will of God. But then there are some storms. I think about I think about the situation with Jonah when he was running from the calling, when he was running from the will of God. The Bible says that the Lord allowed this to happen because it was really an act of grace. Jonah had ran from the call of God and what God wanted him to do, where he wanted him to be. And he was in the middle of the ocean. Well, how was he going to get to where God wanted him to be? Jump out of the boat and drown? No, God sent a whale or a big fish. And this storm was actually an act of grace of God to bring him to where he needed to be. And there are times that when we walk out of the will of God, that God allows these storms in our life to get our attention. Doesn't mean it's going to take our life. But God has to get our attention because he loves you that much. He loves me that much that God will allow us to face things, not all the time, but there's times that we've got to be, we've got, God's got to get our attention and that's, that's how God works. But when you know that you have a plan and a purpose, God has called you, you know what God has called you to do. The enemy is always behind, he's ready He's got something up his sleeve all the time, but we've got to prepare ourselves.